Well, Jeff, it's good to be uh, talking again. I think uh, we talked about six months ago and you transitioned back from uh, Nepal to, uh, to be based in North Carolina. I know you're still engaged with what's happening in Nepal and northern India. But uh, when we last talked, you, you were just sort of beginning to wrestle with how do we apply church planting principles and practices in a Western context. And, uh, you know, you'd begun uh, with some community outreach. Uh, We're based there in North Carolina, and there was a really encouraging start. Um, so six months down the track, how, how's it going? Yeah, um, of course, friend Booger Holler, mm -hmm. um, which I know is not a real good word over there in uh, your land. But, um, yeah, the exciting thing has been um, probably uh, – Man, on Thursday morning, we've got uh, a small group going with some leaders, some pastors, some deacons, mm -hmm. uh, youth pastors, just a variety of folks there. Um, let me just share a little story about Andy. Andy's yeah. the pastor of uh, the local Baptist church. Okay. And Andy was riding down the road just sort of struggling with uh, how do we pull all this stuff together. And so as... Um, Andy's going down the road. He sees this man that he'd been working with, and um, he just feels like the Spirit of the Lord uh, was telling him to stop and to uh, go and see this man hmm. and to help him out. So Andy goes looking for the guy, uh, can't find him, ends up through some friends, tracks him down. The guy had asked for a little help uh, to get back in a, a halfway house or something along that line. Anyhow, Andy ends up putting him back in a motel, which is right next to Andy's church. Mm -hmm. uh, motel is the center of uh, drugs and alcohol, uh, prostitution, just those types of things in our area. And uh, so Andy tells the guy, he said, I want to train you to be a missionary to this hotel. Okay. And so, so on a Monday night, Andy and a group of his folks from First Baptist Church go to the hotel, and they begin their first meeting. Uh, they're using this, you know, the, we've talked a little bit the last time, and, I, and I'll touch on it some more, is the idea of when they meet to use a one-third, 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 and that first third being accountability, pastoral care, worship, um, sort of a time of just making sure people understand where they're going uh, with some good, clear vision casting, and then there's a new teaching, and they practice that teaching. And so they, they just began that night. And so that well, night so just to, so the, the, the first third is sort of uh, connecting the relational side. Second third is some teaching. And then the third third of that time together is let's practice what we've learned. Yeah, we're trying to develop the confidence so about reproduce what they've learned. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this man, he puts him up in the hotel. He has no idea how he's going to help the guy stay in the hotel. Anyhow, the first night they come in, they have two prostitutes show up and a um, couple of the church members. They're sitting, getting ready to start the meeting, and they hear a knock at the door. And an African-American guy walks up, looks in, and slams the door and runs off. And uh, so they start their meeting, go the whole way through their meeting. And right at the end of the meeting, the same African-American young man walks up, opens the door, and he says, are you guys having church in here? And they say, yeah. 
and he just begins to break down and says, I've got drugs here. I have alcohol here. My life's falling apart. I need some help. Wow. And just breaks into the church thing right after an hour and a half of this little house church. And that's just sort of the way it's been from day one is just the Holy Spirit has just poured out all over that little hotel. Uh, so it started in room 114. Uh, so this guy, he gives his heart to the Lord that night. He says, I want to come back with my wife. And uh, so sort of a transient community. You're talking about a hotel, living in a hotel. So this guy disappears. Um, they began meeting consistently with this house church, at um, hotel church, room 114. Um, the man in that room leads his neighbor, room 113, to Christ, and begins discipling him. And so they're following the same process. So 114 has a host group. He's leading the man in 113 through the same process another day of the week, discipling him. This man, and, and this is where we, it was interesting, we actually ran into some trouble here. Uh, his name's Steve. He actually became after becoming a Christian, he led three people to Christ mm. in the first week. And um, so people got upset because um, he was living with his girlfriend in a monogamous relationship for the last seven years, but they're not married. And uh, so we weren't quite sure what to do with a man who's a sinner leading people to Christ. And so that caused a little stir in the church. Mm. And uh, so those are the types of things that you're dealing with. But yet what we're seeing is immediate reproduction as far as here's a man in a home in the house group 114 immediately training and reaching room 113 who then immediately begins reaching other people. And uh, so what they did is when these folks gave their life to Christ, one of the neat things that happened was instead of taking them down to the church to baptize them, we bought a big horse trough and they backed the horse trough up into the uh, back of this hotel, filled it up with water, brought these folks down and baptized four people that day. And they invited all the community to come in and they shared testimonies, shared why they were being baptized, shared about what they were doing uh, right there in the, um, the hotel uh, parking lot. And uh, so it was just one of those amazing uh, things that's happened. Long and short of that story, uh, the title of the book could be Simply Messy House Church or Simply Messy Hotel Church. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but the amazing thing is, if you were to divide a line in that hotel right now, one half, almost one half of the hotel has come to Christ in the past yeah. about four months. The other half of the, and so all the drug dealers have left that side of the hotel. Uh, those that really don't want anything to do with Christ have moved to another place, and now the ones in the hotel are targeting the other side of the hotel. So now they're beginning to reach out to the other side of the hotel to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that sounds odd. This is a you know it's interesting situation in a hotel where church formation is beginning to take place. Um, this group is already uh, they're taking up an offering. Uh, they take up their offering and they're trying to figure out how they can use that money to reach other people in the hotel. I will say, though, this is, this is where it got messy, and this is where um, when they began taking offering, some of the things that happened were um, how do you have good accountability 
in that situation. One of the things we learned was you just can't go giving out money when you're living in that, that particular area of town. And so there was some actually misuse of money, which was a little discouraging, but it ended up being a great teaching moment. Actually be able to go and share the story of Ananias and Sapphira was one of the stories that was shared for discipleship to talk about how do you use money appropriately. And then also um, God cares about his church being pure and uh, a motel church. He cares just as much about it being pure as he does any other. And so God used that moment to purify that church. Uh, so it was an interesting thing how some money was mishandled, ended up being a teaching moment uh, for correcting um, some misuse of that. And so one Let's hope there was a better out- outcome than Ananias and Sapphira, though, Jeff. So far, there has been. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had to carry anyone out yet. No, not yet, but uh, it's but, been but amazing. Just, just as... Um, you know, there, there there were those sorts of incidents when we see the the gospel spreading rapidly in in uh, the New Testament church. You're finding uh, same dynamic. Uh, Holy Spirit's at work. The Word of God is changing lives. But in the midst of that, there's there's mess and 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 need for uh, appropriate uh, discipline and teaching. Yeah, it's been a great opportunity. Uh, I was talking to Andy, who's in the middle of all this, and Andy said this is the greatest schooling he's ever had, you know, working with that motel church. But the cool thing is room 113. Uh, 114 also is reaching out to another small apartment complex Mm. and starting another group. So we're beginning to see some real neat multiplication occur right there. Um, But... Uh, is it messy? Uh, absolutely. Mm. Is it amazing what the Holy Spirit's doing? Absolutely. Um, Andy said one night after he came back on a Monday night, he said that is one of the most significant um, presence of the Holy Spirit he's ever sensed was being in that motel uh, with a group of 14, 15 people praying. And so a large chunk of their time also is spent in praying uh, for the other lost people there. Um, and, and Jeff, I, I just try and understand the. Well, maybe I should ask you what What are you learning from from what you're seeing God do in that motel? Um, well, I think one thing obviously is uh, it, it is a lot like the Book of Acts, and you look at Corinth. You know, we forget that Corinthians was that wasn't an easy place. It wouldn't be, you know, I still go, why do you name your church Corinth? You know, um, those were some tough situations, but yet the learning that takes place there is amazing. And then, uh, seeing God's grace work out there. But I think the, uh, I think one of the neat things that I guess I've learned is as we were sort of searching scriptures, um, it's interesting, 39, of the 40 signs, I'll say, in the New Testament were outside the church. So one occurred in the church, and, and I, the one in the church was the guy who fell asleep and fell three stories, and Paul jumped on him and uh, resuscitated him. Hmm. The others occurred outside the church. Just to give you an example of a sign, there's several signs. You got folks here from the South reaching out to African-American communities, loving on them, encouraging them. That's a sign, um, you know, an amazing sign in a lot of ways, because you had the same thing occur in the New Testament. You had a leader um, coming to Christ, 
you had the jailer coming to Christ, um, and you had the uh, slave coming to Christ. And every Jew would say, every morning when they pray, I thank God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Hmm. And to see those people come together in the body of Christ is an amazing sign. You know, that isn't the normal way to think of a sign, but it's pretty amazing when you see here in our community those types of folks coming together with one com- common goal. Uh, the other thing we've seen, a lady, young lady walked in one night into that same home group. Uh, they were praying. Everybody was in prayer at the same time. Lady walked in. They didn't hear her come in, but they sensed her presence. And she'd visited the home group before there at the hotel. And Andy looked at her, and everybody looked up at once. And he looked at her, and he said, are you ready to be delivered from drugs? And she just broke down and began to weep. And right there, they all went and laid hands on her and prayed that God would deliver her from drugs. Because one of the things I think we've learned is we don't know how to deal with the drugs. We don't know how to deal with the alcohol. We don't know how to deal with what's going on. The only thing we know is we've got to pray that God does something amazing and that he turns uh, that community upside down. And God delivered her. The next day, she showed up at uh, see Andy, uh, sober, straight up, and uh, then that same day brought her boyfriend to Christ. Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend came to Christ that very next day after she did. And so that's one of those things we're seeing. Now she needs that she's been delivered. We need to have intense discipleship and accountability and keep her walking and moving in that relationship. But so that that's one of those interesting things is we're we are seeing in a lot of places God's doing these signs um, in the community. Uh, just it's revealing who He is, revealing His glory, and that's been an ama- that's an encouraging thing for a little group of people meeting in a hotel. So so, so Jeff, just from what I've heard, Dan, it's it's <clears throat> taking the gospel to where people are. Um, I'm I'm hearing it's 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 about uh, as as soon as people are coming to faith, they're engaged in reaching out and ministering to others. Uh, you're seeing um, God powerfully at work, either answering prayer or just through the love and the servanthood of His people. Um, and you're also seeing the importance that as people come to faith, uh, straight away they need to not only be serving and and reaching out, but they need to be in some sort of face-to-face discipleship group where there's there's support and accountability. Is that are they some of the the things that um, you're seeing? Yeah, hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it goes back to those questions of uh, getting somebody who just comes to Christ immediately aware they have an oikos, aware that they have a responsibility to reach others with the gospel, then showing them how, giving them the tools, the support, the encouragement, the prayer to make that happen. And then next is an intense discipleship relationship. And the nice thing is as we lay out some basic sort of simple patterns, like seven commands for them to learn, uh, we couch it in that one-third, one-third, one-third. And so that first third 
a lot of that is that high level of accountability that all of us need and the high accountability, encouragement, um, expectation, um, the vision casting of let's, let's reach the lost. Let's go out in our community. And, uh, it's anyhow, that, that's mm. just right along the lines of what, uh, God's doing. And, um, we're just praying now that uh, we're start. We've gone to about third generation in several spots right now. What, so, what, what do you mean? Oh, and I forgot there was one, one more thing uh, I, I heard in what you've been saying is, despite your best plans and the prayer and the conversions, every now and again expect trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> expect some yeah. mess. Money, you know, money gets messed around or or whatever and you're going to need to come and bring teaching and correction um now you, you mentioned about three generations what 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 does that mean well essentially what we're trying to the health of a movement's only uh the one health of a movement's how many people are hearing the gospel uh another you know measure of a health of movement is how many people are coming to Christ. But another, you know, key as far as the sustainability and the long-term growth of a movement is how many of those people who've heard the gospel, received Christ, and then are passing it on generationally. And so one of the big emphasis we have is uh, having great-great-grandchildren spiritually. And so every believer has a responsibility to bear spiritual children. And uh, so what that looks like is really those one-third, one-third, one-third is when they get a new teaching, we're trying to help develop their confidence. If it's teaching on repent and believe, the story of Zacchaeus, they have a confidence in how to master that, that story in the Bible, how to share that story. Uh, if questions come up, what are the, how do they handle them? What do they do? And then not only on that level, but then they can actually pass it on with the confidence that they people, the people they pass it on to actually can also pass it on. So it's not only their ability to pass it on, but the confidence that they develop that they can help others pass it on to others. And that's where that other third links in week by week, because with weeklies or weekly meetings, as long as it takes, could be nine months, could be a year, could be three years, four years, but that third is up there because if a problem comes up, I'll give you an example. My dad was sharing in an African-American community, and he shared the story of Zacchaeus. And I was amazed how in, insightful my dad was as he um, uh, was sharing the story of Zacchaeus. He's sharing it, and he was in a very poor community. Well, he's, he got thinking about it after he shared it. He said, man, they didn't connect with that story at all. And he said, I think it's because Zacchaeus had it all. He was a rich man. He could give back money. He could give back extra things. He said, you know what? I'm going to share the story of the guy where the four people came together and ripped the roof off and laid the, put the paralytic down through the roof. And that story was brilliant because the next week they went and shared that story, and there was a lady named Ruth. The first week my dad met her, he, he made a – my dad's a Yankee. I know you call everybody Yankees over here, but that, that's a different term over here. So my dad's a Yankee from up north, and he's living here in the south. And he, so he said, how you guys doing? Well, down here he used to say, how y'all doing? Mm. Well, when he said you guys, they got really upset because they thought he meant guys, and it was two girls. And they got really upset and cussed him out and swore at him. And anyhow, he finally got to talk to him, and 
uh, one of the ladies' names was Ruth. And so he asked Ruth, he said, if God could do a miracle in your life today, um, what would it be? And can I pray that for you? And Ruth's only word was, I just pray that God helps me make it through the day. And that was her only word. Well, about six weeks later, Ruth came, and my mom and dad had been faithfully visiting and praying for Ruth and friends and neighbors in that area. And Ruth came and said, I found out I have cancer. Would you pray that God does a miracle in my life and takes his cancer away? And Ruth was scheduled for surgery, and that night, the next day, she didn't get a surgery. And then she was scheduled the following week, and she skipped it again. She was fearful about going to surgery. Hmm. That's the time my dad shared the story of the paralytic because he shared it to her friends, and he said, who made that paralytic well? What did Jesus say about those men there? And he said, it's the faith. So all of her friends realized it was the faith of also, not just the paralytic, hmm. but those four who helped make that happen for the paralytic. Well, Ruth needed the faith of her friends to help make her well because somebody needed to make sure she got to the hospital. Mm. So their four friends last Wednesday stayed up all night and made sure the next morning, early in the morning, Ruth went to the hospital and she had a successful surgery. Randy called from the hospital right afterwards, called my dad. He said, I believe in Jesus. Wow. I believe in Jesus. But it was my dad's insight to change the story because mm. the paralytic story fit the context of the situation better. And so I think that's one of the really neat things that we've been learning as we go. That first third, when I meet with my dad or with those disciples we're working with, that's, that's where we make adjustments. If something's not working, we can tweak it right there. It's not always following a mindless thing. We're listening trying to be doctors diagnosing spiritually where people are. And so that was a really amazing thing. So now we're looking forward to what God's going to do in Ruth and Randy's life uh, because Randy is very open now, and Randy's working in an amazing way. God's working in an amazing way in Randy's life. So, so then when, when you meet in that first third, that's the whole purpose of that then is, is really to connect um, – to find out where people are at, even debrief uh, how, how have you been going, um, needs in their lives or how they've been going, obeying what they learnt last. But then the second third might be, well, let's open a piece of the scriptures that, that's, that's going to speak to our situation, like that story of the paralytic. And then the third third is, well, how are we going to go and put that into practice uh, in the coming week? That's sort of the rhythm that you get into. Um, is, is, is that what it looks like when you're meeting with, um, with people? Yeah, yeah, and I think the, the nice part about that first third is I always have a plan where I'm going. But if I hear the group and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and I've got my spiritual ears on, what I want to do is adjust to where they are to help them get to where they need to get. And so that's where instead, you know, it's like going to the Chinese restaurant and you look down and there's 32 things on the list. And I say, I want number 17, you know, some Szechuan chicken. And uh, the waiter says, no, you can't have that. We're on number three today. 
no, no, I want number 17, session one chip. He said, no, no, we're on number three today. And you'd get frustrated with a restaurant like that. And so part of this dynamic of that first third is listening, hey, this guy really needs number 17 today. We need to make an adjustment in the what we're doing because it's not a program. It's a process of developing disciples. And we want to develop healthy reproducing disciples because healthy reproducing disciples will create healthy reproducing churches. And so that, that's why that first dynamic is so important to be a listener. And Jeff, who's coming to these groups? Are they for people who are already believers or are they for people who are, 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 are searching for answers? Who, who's in the room? We have two types of groups going on. The, the first group, um, I, what I call them is temporary house church training centers. So this would tend to be more for existing believers who are interested in reaching a neighbor or reaching somebody in a community. God's put a particular area on their heart. And so we start this training. We start from the beginning, and we might spend uh, six months to a year together. And it's obedience-based. Every week they're given assignments and things they're to go out and do. Um, and then essentially the goal is they get into a home where there's lost people. And now they begin doing the same discipleship, though, with lost people. And so that's where that second type of group comes in, which is usually folks who don't know Christ. And that's where we're having to make the adjustments to make sure that we're hitting the right thing. Because, you know, one of the things we're running into is we have, um, one, we have a, a large Hispanic community here. Uh, we have um, those who are very poor in our community, and we have those that uh, have more. And all three of those, you sometimes need to adjust the stories or adjust what we're doing to reach them. And so Zacchaeus might fit better with somebody who's wealthier, or the story of the rich young ruler who uh, God challenged him to give up some things to go and follow him. Uh, but then somebody who's dirt poor needs a different set of stories. And then the Hispanic uh, worldview, a lot of times we're dealing with stories that tend to focus more on um, uh, who is Mary, who is Christ, and so begin to look at stories like that. So we're trying to adjust according to who the people are, and that's, that's where that first third gives us that flexibility. And then no matter what we do, uh, the pattern of the one-third, one-third, one-third gives us something that people can reproduce it in the home and then have other folks reproduce it. And I, I think last time we talked about we've, we've had people who were not Christians hearing the stories and retelling the stories to other people who are not Christians and actually had somebody become a Christian that way. It sounds bizarre, but it, it happened. <laughs> mm. and, and so uh, how you said some so number of these groups have started with with people who are looking for answers, how, uh, how do those groups form? How do you connect with those people? Okay, several ways. One is prayer walking. We just get out in the community and prayer walk. And as we're praying, one of the questions, I've already shared it uh, earlier tonight, but uh, a key question we found is, if God could do a miracle in your life, uh, what would it be? We pray that for you. And if we sense that they're open for us to pray for them, we for them. And then we'll keep going and going and going. As long as they'll, there's a spiritual openness there, we keep moving 
as long as they'll let us keep coming. So sort of the house of peace model. So we prayer walk. Uh, we're looking for opportunities to pray for people. And then we're always asking them, would you be willing to have a Bible story, a Bible study in your home? And if so, could you invite some of your friends, relatives, or neighbors? Mm. And so one of, um, you know, so some of these groups are taking places in hotels. Uh, we're getting start to see them on job sites. Um, another one is taking place at a power company. Uh, another one's taking place at a, um, uh, a picnic bench in front of somebody's yard that some neighbors come over to and happens Monday mornings, you know, so it's a, a variety of times, but that, that's, that's the main way. The second other way is, um, so 50% probably happened that way. The other 50% that happened, um, somebody in the group we're training that's already a believer has a relative or a friend who does not know and so they will go to them and uh, say, hey, would you guys be willing to have a Bible study? And uh, we've had amazing stories of people. Um, I'll just tell you a story of one real quick. Uh, a lady has um, – her husband has two brothers who um, don't go to church, and, and they're tired of being invited to church, honestly. And so they won't go. They just refuse. And so they asked him, they said, well, could we have a Bible study at your house? So at their house, asked him to have a Bible study, and he says, uh, yeah, sure, but can I, can I drink a beer while we have the Bible study? I know in Australia that's not a problem, um, but here in the South, it's a bit of a shock for folks. Mm. And uh, so um, she says, yeah, go for it. And so the first week, uh, that was his little test to see if uh, you know she would back off, uh, did the Bible study, and he became very participative. He was like, wow, this is interesting. Do you, uh, and he began to be searching in his own life to say, could God do something in my life? And that was it at the end of the first week. He said, my life's really messed up. Can God really do anything in my life? And so they've been meeting about, uh, probably about three weeks into it now and, uh, won't go to church, but you can come to his house. But that's a, um, you know, sister-in-law and a brother who love two brothers who won't go to church. Mm. And uh, but they'll let them into the house to do a Bible study, and uh, so that's been those are the two main ways we've gotten into homes. And and the studies typically are that one third, one third, one third approach. Yeah, and uh, so essentially, uh, you got to change the front half of that question a little bit when you're with the uh, uh, who are brand new, you know, aren't believers or brand new believers. But it's still, how you doing? What's God doing in your life? How can I pray for you? Um, so it's, again, very active listening to what's going on in their life. You heard that story last week. Uh, did you tell it to anybody? If so, what happened? Any problems you had with it? God speak to you through that story. So there's a little bit of change there, but, but not a lot. You're still engaging them about the story. And then there, now the cool thing is we had a, a guy... His name was uh, Jeff. He was in one of the Bible studies, um, and he was uh, he was in a illegal pharmaceutical business, <laughs> and um, so he uh, he was hearing these Bible stories, and he would go after they practiced them. So he'd hear the story, he'd participate in the Bible study, he would practice to learn how to tell the story, and then he would go tell them to another guy, <laughs> and so he would do that every week. He was going and sharing that story to this guy. Well, then, unrelated to this, 
they both end up in jail uh, for illegal pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And so when they, uh, they end up in jail, um, one of them, uh, he reads the Bible through three times while he's in jail. And uh, so God's working on his heart, but the Jeff had been the one priming him. He's the one that was telling stories to him. One of the other guys in our Bible study got wind from a friend that this guy was getting out of jail and God was working in his heart. The day he got out of jail, he led this young man to Christ. And the day he he did that, he immediately taught this young man how to share his story. So that boy got out of jail. So he was told stories by somebody who was lost. In jail, he was lost. He let, read the Bible through three times. And then he gets out of jail, becomes a believer immediately. And that day, he teaches him how to share his story. So this young man, he's challenged, um, says, hey, we challenge you to go share your story with at least one person. And he goes, only one? Mm. Can I share with more? And mm. so he's been just sharing constantly with his friends, and he's in that relationship. But it goes back to, because that one-third was practiced, somebody who didn't know Christ shared that Bible story with him and actually began to prime the pump. And now you actually have this boy now witnessing back to Jeff. And uh, so it's been amazing that, that even that dynamic, because we don't think about that, that, uh, you know, if it's a good story and the Word of God has awesome stories, people will share them. And, and so <clears throat> typically we're thinking that people need more information, they need apologetics, uh, they need instruction, and a long period of time. Uh, what you're finding is it's the simple stories of Scripture, is God touching people's lives, and even before they're coming to faith, you're, you're helping them to learn how to obey what they're, what they're learning from the Scriptures. Yeah, yeah, and the, the simple narratives are so powerful. I think the other dynamic is being in their homes mm. instead of our homes. Because in their home, if they want to smoke a cigarette, they want to drink a beer, uh, they want to, you know, do whatever they want to do. It's their home. They're totally 100% comfortable. So they're, they're off, off guard. If they're in my home, they're very guarded, what they do in my home, how they act. Now if they go to church, they're even more guarded. And so that, I think that's the beauty is you're just getting, letting people uh, come in, you know, touch with the Word of God. And we trust His Holy Spirit's working, and we know Isaiah 55, 11 promises that His will not return void. And so it does not. These, these people are being touched by digging into that Word, and we've seen it over and over again. Uh, the other thing that's happening in these groups is, um, and I'll go back to the street where my dad's working, um, these signs. Uh, Mom and Dad, one of the people they met with, uh, you know, needed some love, and my mom's been carrying a lady up to prison to visit her son and just loving on her, encouraging her, and loving on her son. She had a prayer that she needed a job. Uh, she wanted a job so she could provide a better life for her son when he uh, got out of juvenile prison. And um, they prayed, and she got a job. Mm. You know, and so she told a friend. Uh, this friend then came and said, "Would you pray for me that I would get an opportunity for a job?" And he actually got an opportunity, a free ride, to go to aviation school to learn how to be an aircraft mechanic. 
And so he's left that area now, and he's looking at it going, God did it, mm. you know, to God be the glory. And then another young man that my, my dad met um, uh, named Tyrone, Tyrone, uh, the first day dad met him, just, just said, man, I, I don't know what, what it's all about. I don't know what life's all about. What, what, what's the purpose? But here recently, after he saw these two things happen to uh, uh, folks, and he's been watching Ruth, he came to my dad and said, would you pray that I get a job? And so they see, so I think this is, this is only the first part. We can't, this is just God beginning to work with signs to give us opportunities, but now we got a disciple. Um, and a lot of it's pre-evangelism discipling. We're discipling before they're Christians. Uh, but then as they become Christians, building that right into the DNA, uh, that obedience that you talked to talked about is built into what's happening. And so, uh, so that's so an amazing Jeff, thing. How many of these, uh, you know, just roughly, how many of these groups have started in the community? We, we don't know exactly, but we'd say we're, we're definitely in an over 30 homes of folks that were not Christians that are now Christians that are baptized that are having regular Bible studies. Uh, I would call them all acorn groups, acorn churches right now. I call them acorns because some squirrel could come along and eat them mm. or some, you know, wacko with a um, lawnmower could come and wipe them out. Uh, but the prayer is they would grow into oak tree churches. But uh, right now, they're acorns, and uh, God's working there. We're probably in another 20 to 30 homes uh, where we're still at the House of Peace stage and just waiting for that, that right moment for it to happen. And uh, so, so about 30 uh, homes are you know, in that verge of moving to uh, uh, somewhere between Acorn Church and Oak Church. So, but you're you're also seeing some of the acorn churches or acorn believers um, giving birth to new disciples and other new groups. I mean, this is you're not running those all those groups, and you're not in all those homes. You're no. beginning to see what's pretty rare in the West, which is. Um, that reproduction, that multiplication of new disciples, new groups, new new churches. Yeah, no, def- definitely. Um, and I, I'm I'm only in a few groups. It's it's my you know for we probably have about six eight guys that are trainers now who can pretty much go do anything I can do. They may not have experience as far as the long term experience, but yet here in the West have a lot of experience and are very solid trainers. So there's a lot of these guys now developing their own training groups. And so we're, we're really, we're at the point in time now there's, um, Oh, I don't know. There's probably 70 groups in training, um, about every week. Um, so, so that's, that's 70 how- groups. That's so the 30 groups that you're talking about, is that different to the 70? Yeah, that would be included in the 70. So we have those temporary house churches that are existing believers out of a traditional church who are reaching out to lost people. Mm. But six months, nine months down the road, they may disappear because there's no sense for us to continue meeting. Their goal now is to become a trainer. And I shift from a Timothy role to a Barnabas Paul role. So now they'll be starting their own groups and I'm still relating to them, or Neil's relating to them, or Andy's relating to them, 
but those groups are temporary. So at, at any one time right now, there might be 70 groups meeting, but 20, 30, about 30 of those are probably temporary and they'll disappear. But we're finding on average, if a group has six to eight people, uh, about half the people get a group going. And uh, so it's, um, uh, I'm trying to think if I shared last time, one of the, the neat stories is a guy who meets here in my home named Kevin. Uh, Kevin is a um, pipe fitter, not a pipe, he's a fabricator, welder. And Kevin is an amazing church planner. Um, God's just using this guy everywhere. He's got a He's got a group going on at his workplace on Tuesdays. Uh, Monday nights, he's got a group going with somebody that came to Christ at his workplace, um, and their whole family has come to Christ. And now that family has started a group and started another group. And then one of the groups he started has actually begun another group. And so we're looking right there. If you go back to our home group on Saturday night, Kevin's group, Matt's group, and then on down the line, we're looking about fourth, third, fourth generation um, going right there. And Matt can do anything Kevin can do, and Matt can do pretty much, as far as the basic stuff, Matt and Kevin can do anything I can do. And so they're confident to go out and do this. Now, when problems come, you know, they're, they're come talk to me or Neil, and we help them troubleshoot things. Uh, but again, we're trying to point him back to the Word, point him back to uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. But um, uh, so yeah, we're seeing some some neat uh, multiplication, and these are normal, regular folks. Nobody's um, nobody trained in seminaries. Nobody trained in Bible schools. Well, um, some some of them are brand new believers, Jeff. Uh, well, Matt's been a believer. Oh, what uh, he came a believer in December. He was one of the first believers I may have talked to you about. And so Matt has started one, two, three, four groups. And uh, so it's amazing how to use that young man. And uh, it's, uh, he's studying the Word. He's uh, involved in discipleship groups multiple times during the week. And uh, so, yeah. How, how much money is all this uh, ministry costing, Jeff? Um. Well, you got me. I, I, uh, the first question somebody asked from a certain mission, he said, how much money do you need to do this? And I said, I really don't need any. I need more time and more people. Hmm. Um, so it, it, it really doesn't cost a lot of money. It costs a lot of time. And, uh, Jeff, I, I'm just thinking of, of people who might be listening in here. And I'd say if they're in a Western context, then with where we're up to is um, how do we get started or how do we continue in a way that will lead to this contagious multiplication happening. So if you were going to sort of, you know, if you're sitting across the room from somebody who's out there, they've already got a heart to go and connect with people and share Jesus with them and make disciples. Maybe they've already done that sort of ministry and seen fruit, but but they're saying, Jeff, how do we get to multi how do we get to multiplication? How does it become contagious like you're you're describing? Yeah, I would say, well, one, I think uh and I didn't share this earlier and and I would say this is a resounding thing that a lot of us are saying is, man, prayer is so key, you know, and, and I don't know how to say it any 
prayer, prayer, prayer. Uh, the spiritual warfare has eaten our lunch some days, and it's because we don't pray enough. Um, the reason I think we're not seeing things happen is sometimes is we're not desperate. And I think we're, I think part of it's getting desperate to see God do something, getting desperate to see him glorified in our community, to see that he has glory and honor uh, in our county, um, that whatever happens, it gets him glory and honor. So I think one thing is whatever we do has to be shrouded in his glory or encompassed in his glory. So that becomes my decision-making process as I do things. The other thing is trust in his spirit, trust in his word. And so if I was looking across from somebody, I'd tell them, I was talking to somebody recently, I said, I'd read through the Gospels and I'd ask, what were Jesus' methods of evangelism and discipleship? And look at the methodologies, not so much the content. We're familiar with the content a lot of times. We don't look at Jesus' methodologies. Is there a chance that Jesus' methodologies are just as inspired as that Word of God? Um, or was it something that was only relevant to the first century? And I don't believe so. Then I would walk through the book of Acts, and I would ask the same question. In the book of Acts, what were the methods of evangelism, discipleship, church formation? How did they develop leaders? And what were the acts of the Holy Spirit? And I would begin looking at all those, and then I would ask one question. What's the difference, as I go through this, between reproducible methods and reproducing methods? And I would try and follow his reproducing methods, Jesus' reproducing methods. And I always have that question in front of myself, is what I'm doing, will it be reproducing versus reproducible? You know, so I, I, to me that big question is, is it reproducing? Because that so means you, you want to see the fruit, not just, you know, in theory this is reproducible. You want to see what do we see God doing do we see uh, fruit coming from the methods, whether it's how we connect with people or how we make disciples or how we form churches? Are we seeing fruit? Is that, is that the distinction you're making? Yeah, a- yeah, absolutely, because a lot of times we can say theoretically, um, there's a lot of great material out there. You know, A book I read when I first became a Christian was Survival Kit. Uh, is it good material? Absolutely. It's founded on the Word. It's very simple, very reproducible, but it's reproducible. The only way it becomes reproducing is if somebody reproduces it in my life, and that takes time and that takes effort, and we have to have people who are willing to rediscover what discipleship's all about, and discipleship's all about being reproducing uh, versus being reproducible. And, uh, and, and that changes the dynamics of everything you do. Sometimes it means you don't need to be a dynamic speaker. Um, there's some people are so, you know, they can sell it upside down, inside out, whatever way it is. And sometimes you just need to think, how do I keep it simple? How do I keep it reproducing? And so tone it down. Don't be so charismatic, you know? So there, there's things like that that, uh, come into play. Um, it's funny I would have thought I could be a little more complex here in America, but the more I find, the longer I'm here is how do I make it simpler and simpler and simpler? Uh, the Word of God is so powerful. And uh, you just, when you put that simple story out there and you allow His Holy Spirit to work through it, it's, it's amazing what He does. 
but the big thing is it's a process. And, uh, and if we allow that process to take place in a reproducing manner, uh, it has a potential reproducing that contagiousness. Well, Jeff, uh, we've uh, run out of time, but I, I'm going to assure our listeners I'm not going to wait a full six months before uh, talking to you again because I, I got all sorts of questions buzzing around in my mind. But uh, we should bring it to a close. How about I pray? And yeah, Lord, I, yeah. we just rejoice together that uh, the gospel is going out in that community in North Carolina. We thank you, Lord, that what you're doing there, you're doing all around the world. And uh, we thank you that uh, even listening to us now are people who have on their heart to see your kingdom come, to see lost people found and set free. And uh, so we just pray for those who are listening that your Holy Spirit would guide them, uh, lead them back to your word and to simple obedience and to ministering and mobilizing others. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeff. Well, thank you. Okay.